welcome to a Better Divorce podcast where we have conversations about the emotional, financial, and legal issues that are on your mind or should be on your radar if your goal is to keep your divorce out of court. I'm collaborative divorce attorney and mediator Andrea Vaca, and I know that how you divorce matters to your long-term well-being. That's why it's my mission to help you have a better divorce with as little acrimony as possible so that you can create the best life possible on the other side of your marriage. Hi, everyone. Today, we have Leonard Gottlieb with us today on the Better Divorce podcast. Uh, Leonard's a licensed real estate broker. I think it's actually an associate real estate broker with Compass, where he leads a team of, is it eight or five, Leonard? It is eight. Okay. And so Leonard and his team help buyers and sellers and basically navigate the New York City real estate market and find the home that they love or sell the home they're, they're looking to. Uh, move on from. Um, also, Leonard's and why I had him on the show today is that he's a certified divorce specialist and a certified real estate divorce specialist. So, um, Leonard, welcome to a Better Divorce podcast. Thank you, Andrea, for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to our discussion and finding out more about these divorce certifications that you hold and and how couples who are contemplating or, or divorcing and, and buying or selling a home could benefit from working with a broker who has this type of training. So mm-hmm. we'll get into that today. Okay. Yeah. All right. So first of all, how long have you been in real estate? Cause I know you had a very interesting career before this. So mm-hmm. you just tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, my journey is uh, like everyone else, you know, we go into real estate from another career usually. Uh, my back background was in the jewelry and diamond business. I'm a graduate gemologist. Uh, did that my whole life. It was a family business in the diamond district. Um, so I, I transitioned into the real estate world in 2002. So it's been over 20 years, 21 years. Um, so um, and it's been you know a wonderful experience to continue helping people. And that's my my goal is to help people. So yeah, all right. Well, um, I you know you so you've always been in New York, right? I mean, you were in the Diamond District here in New York. That's where you worked primarily, that's right? right. Yes. You know New York. I mean, I've been in Manhattan basically my whole life, most of my life. But some some part of it was in Brooklyn as well in my early years. Uh, but this has been a you know my 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 focus is in real estate is in Manhattan mostly even though I do do uh, Brooklyn as well and Riverdale and things like that. Right. Okay. So, so let's talk about these designations. So um, not every, you know, not, not a lot of brokers that I'm aware of have this designation. So, well, first of all, there's a certified divorce specialist that's not about real estate and there's a certified real estate divorce specialist. So what exactly do each of these mean? Can you just tell us a little bit about that first? Sure. You know, the certified real estate divorce specialist, which I'd gotten several years ago, this gives us a, just a better understanding about what it is that um, other entities are involved with, you know, in the divorce process. So I have an understanding of what the legal aspects are, the financial aspects and the mental health aspects are to that goes on in the, this trying time, obviously. Um, and by having that understanding, it just gives me a little bit of an ability to help people who are going through this time. So I understand what they're going through. And there may be some things that I hear 
that may be like a you know flag a red flag that says you know what check with your legal team check with your you know um financial person about this particular issue because you may have to have an ability to work around it. I can give you an example of one of these things that has come up that actually has occurred in, in my business. Um, you know, it, one of the things that um, the, you know, in a normal sale of a property, there is a certain amount of exclusion you can take from the sale of a property for the from so that the capital gains are reduced. Right. And that, that exclusion is uh, $250,000 or $500,000 if you're married, filing jointly, and have lived there two out of the last five years. That's the test. Now, obviously, in a divorce case, you're going to have maybe one spouse leaving the property. Depending on the decree, maybe one spouse stays in the property, and they will sell the property maybe 10 years later. There's a child in place, you know, that what needs to be there for the next 10 years. Right. What happens is the IRS has been able to carve out that particular restriction. So each spouse is able to take that $250,000 deduction or, or exclusion from capital gains. And a lot of people don't know about this. So it's a, I, while I can't give this advice, you know, and, and uh, do their actual, you know, CPA work, because uh, I'm not licensed for that, but I still know about this. And this is something that a lot of people don't know about, both in the professionals or, and also the people going through the divorce. Right. So with something like that, I mean, if somebody's been out of and we're, you know, we're going to tell everybody listening, talk to your CPA about anything we talk about with taxes. But what I'm hearing you say is your issue spotting, your ability to see uh, spot issues, see where concerns may be, where loopholes may lie, what they should talk to their uh, other professionals about. You have that additional kind of, it's on your radar, like you can see these things because of the training you've had. Exactly. And other training involves uh, also understanding personalities. So identifying people who are narcissistic or, um, you know, borderline personalities, things of that nature, while I'm not giving a diagnosis, but if you recognize that maybe you know how to speak with them properly so that they you can get to their good side, if you will, because there's a lot of attention. Oftentimes in a divorce, it's not always, you know, you know, very smooth. There is a bit of animosity and acrimonious relationships that go on. So you really want to make sure that there is a little bit of um, a sensitivity to what's going on in the um, in, in the divorce. Right, it's because, I mean, everyone has their their thing. You know, everyone has their own, you know, personality traits and that can be difficult and when you're trying to sell. But in a divorce, when everyone's emotions are, are higher, everything will be amplified, those traits can be amplified. So if you're listening for certain trigger words that show maybe someone's a little more passive aggressive, or you have two different spouses where there's one who's in such um, denial really that this is even happening. And the other one who wants to speed it up, like it's recognizing those dynamics. I'm sure that comes up a lot. It certainly does. And this is where, you know, I may come in uh, to assist perhaps the attorney involved because when they're deciding on 
how to structure if there is a marital home that needs to be sold, how to structure certain aspects that come up. For instance, how do you know, uh, how do you decide who to select to represent the property for sale? That's one way, that's one of the issues, you know, who makes the selection? Is there a veto power from the other side? Do both parties interview a potential agent together. Then after one, once you've even selected an agent, then what happens if the uh, price for whatever reason is a little high and you're not getting activity? By what percentage will you lower it? Who makes that decision? How long do you wait before you do that? All of this can be written down into a contract and an agreement between the parties so that there's no question. At a certain point, it'll go down a certain percentage after so many days or so many showings, something of that nature. All of this can be written down. And so you have to you know, be hands-on with this. And this is where I can come in and help because if I can give you some information as to what the market is like and what the activity is like, that'll help you as well uh, structure the proper settlement agreement. Right. So what about the situation where a couple comes to you and they're ready to sell their home and list it for sale and they're in the middle of the divorce? They don't have an agreement yet. Will you talk to them about these things and put it in your own listing agreement with them? Or would you encourage them to come to an agreement, like an interim agreement with their lawyer that they sign between themselves? Like, how would you suggest they handle that about these reductions and how long it will be on the market, when they'll accept an offer within a certain range of the asking price, you know? Right. This also occurs quite often. There isn't anything in writing from the attorney regarding this. And, but I will make sure that we speak about that in advance and we talk about it. And, you know, I'll put it in writing if need be, but it's not part of the actual listing agreement that's pretty much boiler, boilerplate, if you will, because, you know, we just have to have the conversation and I have to make sure that both parties are both parties are in agreement that this is how we'll conduct ourselves. So that to make sure that, you know, and, and and this is where the impartiality comes in. Uh, and so that there isn't any kind of feeling from either party that there's, I'm favoriting one side over another. We have to be completely neutral and completely at arm's length and just be factual as to what it is that we're doing, what our goals are and how we get there. Right, okay. So just even putting it out there, having this conversation, having them think about it, then when the situation comes up, they're more prepared to make a decision and, 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 and act. So that's just putting it out there and speaking about it is going to be helpful. Okay, but just so you know, we always do put that in our agreements if the home has not been sold yet and we lay out everything you mentioned, you know, how, it will, how you'll choose a broker, how you'll list it for sale, who will be responsible for communicating, you know, so we try to lay all that out because we know these things can cause conflict later. So what about, couples that are are negotiating their agreements out of court they're not there's no court there's no judge telling them to do this they're in agreement to sell but they're at different places or there's a lot of anger between them um how do you handle that like what do you do when you're dealing with really angry people and you need to like you know sell their home and make it look as good as possible and 
what do you do? How do you handle that? Have you how have you been trained to handle that? Given your train your certifications, uh, again the sensitivity is really important, and being uh, trying to remove the emotional aspect from the situation, and that really is really key here. And if I can just relate to them that you know our our what our goal is, all of our goal is in one direction and how do we get there in the most efficient way possible least harmful to either party and sometimes you do get that animosity and where one spouse is angrier than the other one one wants to just be done with it etc i mean i've had a situation one time where um we had an offer and it was a good offer it's been on the market for a while we have the offer um but they don't, you know, one spouse just did not want to take less than X amount. But in reality, the market speaks. This is what the correct price would be. Uh, and so what I did was I put together one spouse was ready to move forward with it. And the other was not. I put together a spreadsheet just to break down all the details, everything, including all the 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 gross amount the, the net amount and what would happen if if one party gives their portion that they would have gotten had they gotten the higher price what if they put it into this column and allow now both spouses to be happy and whole and be done with it and it, for a little bit of a difference because you if you really put it down in on paper in a spreadsheet you can point out that this is what it'll, you'll have as a net gain. And it worked out. They, they accepted an offer. They switched a little bit with how much money they were going to receive, which was okay. Both, both sides were happy and the deal was concluded. So sometimes you just have to work, you know, a little bit extra to make, to really show them how this will work out for them to their advantage. What what's a little bit extra? <laughs> That's a very relative term. So what was it in this situation? But what was the home sale price, if you can recall, and what was the amount one person gave to the other to make it done? You know? Right. It was it it was interesting. It was about a uh, if I can if I remember correctly, somewhere about one and a half million dollars for this property. So we're talking about you know the difference may may have been twenty thousand dollars let's say in the negotiations. So if you really break it down and and don't forget that twenty thousand dollar difference then is split between two parties to ten thousand each. So all you have to do is take five thousand from one and bring it to the other, and there you have it. You know then they're happy they're get, getting more money than they thought, and the other spouse is losing just a little bit. But they're really, at the end of the day, they're gaining their freedom and they're moving on with their lives. That's the whole point. That's the whole point behind this is just to move on. Exactly. So in, there's, um, we, you and I worked on a, had a, a, a client together. Um, and uh, that was an interesting situation that you had to deal with as the broker. So Leonard was, um, I had referred a client to Leonard for the sale of their his apartment, and he was married. And um, my client was no longer living in the home. And Leonard, do I say a little bit about what happened? That you had to deal with some very interesting situation there, and how you did that? Yeah, it, it was a very interesting situation, and indeed, your you know, the client was the owner of the property because he, I believe, uh, had. Uh, 
um, purchase that prior to marriage, et cetera. So that it, it changes the dynamics a little bit, but the, the other, the spouse was supposed to leave the premises. Locks had been changed. And I went to the building to start the whole process of doing the floor plan, getting it organized, getting it ready for sale. I get to the building. I tell the doorman, I'm going, I, I have the key in my hand with the, for the new lock. And I said, okay, I'm going up. And the doorman says, oh yes, she's upstairs. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> it can't be because I've got the key here and the lock had been changed. Well, as it turned out, um, she basically broke into the apartment, um, went, went to the neighbor's apartment. There was an adjoining balcony and climbed over and got into the apartment that was there the whole weekend. So, um, don't make these things up. We People. <laughs> right. So uh, we did not call the police. We right. called Andrea instead <laughs> to make sure that something could be done to make sure that, um, she finally gets the message that she cannot be there so that we can move forward with the sale of the property. And it was, it was a difficult, um, situation. A lot of cleaning up had to be done, a lot of staging, but it was done and it, it sold and everything was good uh, at the end of the day. It sold really quickly, relatively, once you got it staged, as I recall, and he was very happy with the with the price. And uh, yeah, and that was really fun. Yes, that was fun to have to deal with that one. Um, I haven't had anyone break into a home since then, so it's, okay. it doesn't happen all that often, I'll have to say. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the market itself. Um, we hear, you know, I mean, one week it's the market is better than it was and now it's contracting again and I mean you just can't keep up with what is actually happening out there and so how do you suggest buyers and sellers deal with the ups and downs of the market and and knowing what to do when like how do you advise them indeed um there is great volatility in the market uh, obviously COVID had a lot to do with it we had a certain time that there was no activity we weren't even allowed to work for three and a half months uh, in 2020. Uh, then the pent up demand made 2021 a very, very busy time. Uh, prices basically held steady. Uh, that being said, it, it is so, um, you, you really have to look very, very granularly into every aspect, whether you're looking at a specific building um, and neighborhood they will usually there's usually a trend within a neighborhood whether there is it's a it's going up or going down i can tell you just from um my personal experience that you know the uh, the um activity has gr has grown rapidly in the last couple of weeks mm. so you know in uh february march uh, sorry, in February, in January, February, we started to see this. We're getting into March, and I know that the spring season is going to be very, very strong. It really feels that way. Um, but you can't, um, that old thinking of, oh, let's put it on a price that you have some wiggle room for, that is out the window. You have to price sharply. Uh, you cannot really go by, um, you know, by sales that had occurred, you know, at the height of the market, you have to just know the market, what has sold, 
what the uh, buyers are looking for, and you have to price accordingly. And you know very quickly whether or not you need to reduce a price or not. Uh, but there is still activity out there. Buyers are coming back uh, strong in a strong way. Um, so, you know, it, 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 there's always going to be a little bit of a ups and down in ups and downs in the in the marketplace in any market. Um, but you know, in the long run, the value is there, uh, and uh, you know you'll see that uh, activity picks up. So we do have plenty of activity. There's a little bit of a um, slowdown in. Um, in the uh, a number of properties that are available. So we do have a little bit of a contraction in there, uh, but that's also is seasonal as well. And that will change as well. Right, so in spring, more people will list their homes for sale typically, even in Manhattan that happens too, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Like, you know, in the suburbs, they often say that because you want it to look nicer in the spring, right? That's but true too. Manhattan apartments too. So what about, you know, you really can't time the market, but when you're divorcing, time feels of the essence. So a lot of times people wait, 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 because they don't have an agreement yet. And then once they have an agreement, it's like go time, but one can be feel very hesitant about, is this the right time? I'm not emotionally ready, or it's not, um, is this the right time to list it on the market? Maybe we should continue to co-own it. So any advice for, the anxious spouse who either wants to list it as soon as possible or doesn't want to list it, you know, is trying to time the market. Like, what do you, what would you say to someone like that? Timing the market is impossible. I mean, you don't really know what's going to happen. The most important thing I think to take into consideration is that even if, for instance, one spouse can buy out the other and keep the property, there's an emotional attachment to a property. A marital home and oftentimes even if one can afford to buy out the other do you really want to be in a home that was the marital home sometimes it's best to just be done and again start with a fresh clean slate and that mentally it is empowering uh, i think that that is a huge consideration for so many people the marital home has to be dissolved just like the marriage and we move on and we have a new start in our lives in a new home. And I think that is critical think, you know, to think that way. Because I do see, and um, typically, but not always, more often it's women. Um, if, there's a, it's a, if it's a heterosexual couple, it'll be the female who wants to keep the home, has a, little, a more of an attachment to it. Sometimes it's the male, but and they'll jump through every hoop they can to do the buyout and get the mortgage and refinance or whatever it is. And everybody around them is telling them it might not be the best financial decision for you to have so much of your marital net worth in this home. But, mm -hmm. you know, all you can do is advise somebody and give them the information and then they can make, they have to make their own decision. Sometimes it's not, it's about, oh, my children can't move. I really don't want to make my children you know, move until they're a certain age. And so it's a choice that people are making. But I do see more often than that, not that a year, if I, when I check in with my clients a year or two after, they might have, they might have some regrets that they kept the home. Mm -hmm. I can and totally understand, obviously, if there's a child in place, you don't want to disrupt the environment, 
and everything else. Uh, that is a, a different situation to take into consideration. But certainly those um, those couples who are divorcing without a child, it, it's a different dynamic. And it's it really, I think, it's time for them both to, to move forward with their lives. That would be something that I would just think that it would be a second nature, you know, just move on. Right, right. Yeah, even even sometimes in apartments, you know, like rental apartments, they don't want to move, you know, move. And it's a lot. It's a lot to. It's so many transitions. I get it. I like. It's like one last thing to have to think about. But, um, you know, that's that's why we're here. You know, for, so we can give them their options, and then you know, if they want to sell, we can help them with that. If they need to refinance, we help them with that. Whatever it is. And on the other side, also, they they're going to be needing help to find a place as well. So this is where, you know, my expertise comes in as far as being able to uh, look at their financials and also be involved with that so that I know what you will be able to afford going forward because income has changed, uh, assets have changed. Um, now we start with a fresh slate. Right. Well, and co-op boards, are they, I mean, what do you see? I mean, this is a very New York thing, these co-op boards, but, you know, you have... You know, when, when couple when someone is coming out of a divorce and hasn't had a lot of their own income, it's hard to buy a new apartment. Like, yes, you have to avoid the co-ops at that point, right? It, it, it depends on the situation. Every every building for every co-op building is going to be different with different rules and regulations, so they may look at things differently. That's number one. And every situation for every individual is going to be different, um, depending if they had work back. You know. Um, history of work and income. So all of that is what we take a look at, you know, uh, but yes, indeed, um, going um, into a co-op uh, involves not only um, a board interview and letters of reference, but also a certain amount of debt to income ratio that we have to look at. So we look at the whole picture before we move forward. So you look at all of that and you'll give advice on what kind of buildings they should be looking at, what neighborhoods, what, okay, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, well, yes, I mean, the neighborhoods and, and type of building and all of that, that's certainly up to the individual, but, you know, we know what to look for as far as, you know, this building is a little bit more um, friendly, if you will, to, you know, maybe lower assets, but higher income and vice versa. All right. So Leonard, is there anything else that um, you want? I don't know that you'd want people to know about divorce. I mean, um, I do. I mean, I might, my final question for you is, you know, what is your one better divorce tip? Um, so you, you can, do you have one for us? Um, the better divorce tip is just to be on, on board um, with, um, with your, uh, obviously with your listing agent to be able to, um, communicate properly and let them know your goals and um, and do the right thing. I mean, that's that's critical. Um, you know, that's basically it. So know what your goals are and be able to communicate them clearly sure. so you can work effectively with your and get the new home that you love. Is that yes. basically it? Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much, Leonard. So what is the best way to um, to for anyone to find you and to reach out to you? So um, I work uh, the brokerage that I'm with is with Compass. Um, so it's easy enough to Google me, Leonard Gottlieb at Compass and uh, 
there I am. Okay. And that's my email as well, leonard.gottlieb at compass.com. Leonard.gottlieb at compass.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Leonard, for being here. This has been another episode of A Better Divorce Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and watching, and we'll catch you on the next episode. You've been tuning in to another episode of A Better Divorce Podcast with Andrea Vaca. Thank you for subscribing, leaving your positive comments and reviews, and sharing the show with others. You can watch episodes at vacalaw.com, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can listen through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Bye for now. And remember, you can have a better divorce.